James 1, we're still in James 1, and uh, we're working today through verses 16 to 18, 16 to 18, so let's open God's word, let's do that, let's read it together. James 1, 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my, brother, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's just pray first, and then we'll look at this together. Father, thank you for all you've taught us uh, in James already, there's so much to be found, so much to learn, so much to apply to our life. And we do now pray that again, as we look at this, as we look at you, that we would see a good God. And that we would worship you and that we would, we would have hearts that are enlarged and we would have greater lives that are more devoted to you than ever. Help us to see your work. Help us to see your person. That we may worship you with greater devotion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God's own people were scattered amongst the nations. Didn't we look at that way back at the beginning? God's people were scattered among the nations because of persecution. They were unfairly treated and not welcomed, actually, in many ways, where they found themselves. Trials and tribulations surrounded them on every side. And Pastor James reminds them, doesn't he, to consider it all joy and to seek their generous God for wisdom as they work through these very difficult times. Well, this persecuted, disillusioned, because I think they were disillusioned, downcast for sure church is challenged. It's challenged to watch their hearts. And we looked at that, didn't we? And it says, didn't it, in in verse 9, to let their lowly hearts be exalted and let the exalted heart become lowly. And if that wasn't enough, then James actually warns them of what their hearts are really like. And we looked at that, didn't we? How trials and temptations, they can turn our hearts and they can make our wicked hearts do things that we would never dream. Now, how would you be feeling if you were the scattered church? We've got to remember, always when we work through James, as, as applicable as it is to us today, as, as practical it is, as it is for us today, we always have to remember in the back of our minds that James is speaking to a church like this 2,000 years ago. And so how would you be feeling if you were scattered like they were? Would you feel weary? Would you feel frustrated that that has happened? Would you feel angry, maybe, at the circumstances? Well, who also would you direct these feelings at? If you felt like that, who would those feelings be directed at? Well, James knows all too well that man is too quick to blame someone else for their own problems. And that includes all of us. We tend to blame somebody else and point the finger at somebody else or something else. And sadly, often, that person is God. Put ourselves in the shoes of the early church for a moment. Wouldn't you be so weary that you'd be asking the questions like, God, are you still here with us? God, what are you doing? God, are you really a good God? Is there any wonder that in verse 16, James reminds them and us 
that whatever we're facing, whatever trouble or storm you're going through, we must not let our hearts deceive us into thinking that God is no longer who he has always been. And that's a serious thing. We must not let our hearts make us think that God is no longer who he has always been. So James, having told them to watch how evil springs up from within their own hearts, now reminds them clearly just how good God is and and how he gives us wonderful gifts. So that's that's the title of this morning's sermon, A Good God. It's as simple as that, a good God. And that is what James wants to remind the church then and today, that our God, no matter what, is a good God. And in a moment, I'll give you three ways in which God is good, straight out of the verses that we've read, three ways. But for a moment, just before we go there, I want to think, I want us to think about the first half of verse 17, which is uh, very interesting. Let's read it together. It says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now you've heard that verse, you've probably sent that verse in a text, or written it in a card or something. It's, it's here to remind us and encourage us that no matter what is going on out there or in here, that God is good. But what is he really saying? What is James saying to us in these verses? Well, let me put up on the screen a literal translation of this verse. And I want to read it to you. A literal translation that says this. All good giving and every perfect gift is from above. We actually have an abbreviated version of this in our Bibles. I don't know why they didn't put that in there, but it's so helpful. All good giving and every perfect gift is from above. You say, well, what's the difference, really? Surely they're two in the same thing. And in many ways they are, but this helps us to understand a few things better. And let me, let me give you those few things. Firstly, when it says all good giving, we better understand that not only are the gifts absolutely good, but the action of giving is absolutely good too. You see the difference? Not only are the gifts that he gives are good, but actually the action of giving is absolutely good too. You see, anyone can give a good gift, right? Everybody here could give a good gift. Go out and buy a gift and give it. That would be fine. Everyone can give a good gift. But it's, it can't always be said that the action of giving is good. can't always be said. Someone can give a good gift, but the motive behind the action may not be pure and holy. It may not be pure and holy. Maybe the person begrudges giving it. Maybe they're jealous, actually, that they bought this gift for them. And actually, I'd quite like to keep it. You ever had that? Christmas, I bet I've bought you such a good gift. I wish I could, I wish I could have the same. Maybe those thoughts are going on in our minds. Well, what James wants the church to realize is that God gives from a hand that is absolutely perfect. It is absolutely pure and it is undefiled in every way. It's perfect. And so for us, whether trial, pain, or temptation, as we've looked at over the last number six, six or six weeks, I think, nothing evil can possibly come from above, from God. That's not to say he doesn't use those things for our good and for his glory, but they don't come, they're not sourced in God himself. Well, secondly, from this verse that we've just read, All good giving and every perfect gift is from above. Secondly, 
As I've said already, the gifts themselves are perfect too. So not only is the giving perfect, the motive behind the giving perfect, but also the gifts itself are perfect. And therefore, unlike those that come from human hands, gifts from God, and I want you to get this, and this is slightly complicated, I I hope you understand what I'm going to say. Gifts from God manifest their perfection the more they are examined and the more they are experienced. Okay? Think about that for a moment. God's perfect gifts to us become clearer and they get better the more they are examined and experienced in our life. How many times have we been made aware in our Christian walk that what God has given was actually just what we needed? But actually more than that, even more than just what we needed, in fact, many times it has been so much more than we ever thought it could be, we just didn't realize it at the beginning. But as we more experienced it, as we more uh, examined it, we realized actually here, Lord, you have given me something that is more than I ever realized and so the more we examine think upon and experience his gifts to us whatever they might be in your life I think they're varied I can't write a list up I tried to think about this I couldn't write a list up of all the things uh, what they may be but whatever God has given you in your life the more we look at them the more we experience them and no more than the salvation that we have we realize just how perfect they are this cannot be said for the gifts that we give to one another, can it? Yes, they're good for a time. If you give someone a gift, birthday, Christmas, Mother's Day, whatever, you give them a gift, it's great for a time, isn't it? They will cherish that gift, hopefully the person who receives it, but soon that gift becomes worn out or it becomes unfit for purpose. This is not the case with God's gifts. Haven't the saints throughout the centuries, go back, read, the saints, read Old Testament scripture. Haven't the saints testified to the fact that God's giving and his gifts are perfect? Isn't there enough here even in this wonderful book that we have, this perfect book of testimony of men and women who tell us that God's gifts are perfect? Think of the psalmist for a second. Go back to the psalmist in our minds and think about what he said. In Psalm 18:30, he says, This God... This God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proved true. That's amazing, isn't it? What a testimony to the gifts that the psalmist received from God. What about Psalm 19 and 7? The law of the law, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What a gift. The word of God is a gift. It revives our soul. And the more we experience it, the more we understand it, the more we are exposed to it, the more we realize how perfect it is and what a gift it is to us in our life and in our Christian walk. So we've established then, haven't we, this morning, that God is is the giver of all blessing and that his gifts are absolutely good too. But now James describes God in three wonderful ways, three simple ways. He makes a sermon so handy when he does this, just three points this morning, and they're very simple. And the first one is this. God is sovereign. Look at the second half, or the middle section of 17, verse 17. I think we can split this up into three. But the, sec- the middle section says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift come- is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Coming down from the Father of lights. What does James mean when he talks about a Father of lights? What does that mean? <clears throat> well, firstly, I think 
Simply that James is <clears throat> reminding the scattered and downtrodden church that God himself fathered, gave birth to each and every one of the universe's octillion stars. And he lit them up and he ordered them in place in their distinctive courses. That's the sort of God he is. But as well as that, he ordered the suns and the planets and the moons. <clears throat> he ordered the entire solar system, all of which exists in such perfection that he pronounced it himself good in Genesis 1.18. He looked at it and he said, it's good. And so God is a sovereign God. He's the father of the lights. He is the creator and sustainer of all creation. He is a cosmic making, cosmic sustaining father of lights who also takes a great interest in you and me. Well, does a great big God like that who put those, these things in the place perfectly look down on us and takes a great interest in you and me and loves us? Isn't that astonishing? He knows us. He knows our situation. This is what James is trying to encourage the church in the midst of trials and temptations in their hearts. He's saying, the Lord knows you. This Lord or this Father of lights knows you. And he loves you. And he takes an interest in you. And he gives us great gifts. What a wonderful creator God we worship today. But if you'll be so kind to me <clears throat> to take this one step further. And let me say that James' description here of the father of lights also reminds us that God himself isn't just the author and sustainer of creation. But through his creation, we perceive his divine and perfect light in the sense of his moral goodness. God is good in every single way. And his creation points that out to us. Romans 1 and 20. You can go there. If you're making notes, even just jot it down. Romans 1 and 20. I want to read this to you. This is what Paul says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. They've been seen. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. See it's impossible to look up on a clear night. And we can do that round here. And I love doing that round here. It's, it, there's no light pollution on the Dungannon Road. And it's just amazing. Um, that you can look up. And you can look and see the moon. Annabeth loves when we come home late at night, just to get out of the car and say, where's the moon, Daddy? Now, most of the time, it's behind the clouds, but that's beside the point. Um, it's there. But on a clear night, looking at the moon, looking past the moon into the dazzling, relentless blanket of stars. And if we do that, and I encourage you to do that regularly, go out on a good night, stand out there and pray and praise the wonderful creator of that God, the God who created that stuff. It's amazing. If we can't be moved by that, by the reality that God is not only powerful, but he is perfect and good, I don't know what will move us. He is truly the father of lights, and his creation declares that to us. 
And so we must understand the term Father of Lights as something that proclaims God's goodness. Well, then we are prepared then to move to the next attribute, aren't we? If we realize that, if we realize he is the Father of Lights, that he is sovereign over all his creation, and that he loves us and gives us good gifts, then his next attribute that James shares with us is this, that he is a dependable God. Second, at the third part of verse 17, let's read it together. I'll read the full verse so we can see it all in context. Every good, good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What a statement. I love that. So not only is our God sovereign over all creation, he is also dependable. He's dependable. As earthlings, which is all of us sitting here, as we earthlings on this earth, we are subjected to constant change, aren't we? Constant change. We've probably got used to it in many ways. Probably become very conditioned to the fact that we actually live in a world which is constantly changing. We think about our bodies for a moment. They're, they are testimonies to constant change. I'm, so, I'm sorry to say that, but that is true. <laughs> you just look at yourself. I'm going to give you an illustration here, but I don't, I don't expect you to do it right now. Maybe you will. If, if you were to take your finger and you were to pinch the skin on the back of your, your index finger, if you're six years old, Hazel, you're smiling, I think. You're wearing a mask, but I can see you smiling there. If you pinch your finger and you're six years old, it will go straight back into place. If you're 26... It'll take a few seconds to smooth out. I'm 31, and it takes more than a few seconds. If you're 46, it may return to place by the end of this sermon. <laughs> and if you're 76 or more, don't even bother, okay? Because there's, no, there's not even any point in trying. Our bodies are testimonies to the constant change in the world. Constant change. What about thinking about day and night for a moment? Day and night. Think about day and night. You ever thought about this? The sun rises in the morning and the shadows fall along to the west. The sun stands at high noon, brightening up everything in our, on our earth and everything in its path. And then the sun sets and our shadows move from west to east until the sun goes down and everything fades into nothingness, into darkness. And so day and night are constantly changing. That's the way God created it to be. The moon comes out at night, and then it fills up in some way, some light in, on this earth. It could be full, it could be a crescent, it could be uh, something different to that. And it reflects light and refra refracts light differently, moment from moment. But such change isn't present when it comes to the goodness of God. As much as we live in a constant changing world, and we have become conditioned to change, we have a God who is not. He is constant and good. And James says with God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think of it like this. God's goodness is always at high noon. Always. Always. It doesn't, doesn't rise. It doesn't set. It, it is always at high noon. There's a story of an old music teacher who was asked in a greeting What's, good news? What's the good news today? What's the good news today? Well, the old man, without saying a word, stood up, walked across the room, 
picked up a tuning fork, you know what that is, and he struck it. As the note sounded, he said, that is A. That's A. It is A today. It was A 5,000 years ago. It will be A in 10,000 years' time. He continued, the soprano upstairs sings off key. The tenor across the hall, well, he sings out a tune entirely. And he got the note again, he struck. He said, that's A. That's A, my friend. And that's the good news today. What do I tell you that story? Well, I asked the same question. What's the good news today? What's your good news today? What's our good news today? The good news today, and for all eternity, is this, that God is infinitely good. It doesn't change. It's good today. It's good tomorrow. He's good in 10,000 years' time. He's never had or will never have more goodness than he has today. He doesn't get good. He is good. He is unchangeably good. Well, before we move on to the last point this afternoon, the words coming down that we see here, I know we didn't touch on it just now, but I want to tie it in here. The words coming down in verse 17 remind us that not only is God unchangeably good, not only is God dependably good, but his perfect gifts come in unending succession. That's what that means when you look at it in, the, in its original language. Coming down, constantly, unending succession. What a great God we serve. Third thing, James says, verse 18, he's gracious. He's not only sovereign, he's not only dependable, he's gracious. Read verse 18 with me, please. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about giving birth to things, haven't we? In the sense of our hearts conceiving and giving birth to sin. And I also said that there is something that will break that cycle in our hearts if we want it. That there's something and someone that will break the cycle of sin in our lives. And we learned, didn't we, that it's this. We need to be born again. We need to be born again. Remember Jesus told uh, Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. And he said, how am, I supposed to be, how am I supposed to enter my mother's womb a second time? Well, he didn't quite get it, did he? He didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. This isn't a new physical birth. This is a spiritual one, a new spiritual birth. And James tells us three things about this new birth here in this verse, verse 18. Three things about this new birth that we, some of us, have experienced. And those who haven't, those who do not know Jesus as their personal savior, this is on offer for you. God creates in us a new person and we need to be born again. And these are the three things that James tells us in this verse. And the first one is this. He tells us about its origin. Where does this new birth come from? Well, the origin of this new birth, this salvation, is God himself. It is he who, it is he who is graciously good towards us. And as James says here in verse 18, it was, look down on the page, 
God's own will that he brought us forth. It was his will. Just as God acted freely in his goodness when he created the universe and said it's good. No one told him to do that. He did that out of his, his grace. He also chose freely to bring those who believe on Jesus to himself. That was his work. Remember Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Nothing we have done. Nothing we will do will ever earn salvation. It's a gift of God. Talking about gifts this morning. This is the greatest of them. It was a perfect and gracious gift of God that he, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, has done a miracle in our lives, in the life of a believer. And that miracle is called new birth. It's called new birth. Second thing we see in this, uh, this uh, description, uh, well, it's, it's, it's more of what, what do we see and how does God create new birth in us. We see that God is the means. He is the means. What is the means? Well, look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth or gave birth to us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See, new birth finds its source in a gracious and loving God. But he uses, he achieves that by the word of truth, which is the thing that we hold in our hands this morning, hopefully. Simply put, the birth of sin comes from our listening and surrendering to our evil desires in our hearts. We looked at that, didn't we? But new birth spiritually comes through our coming under the word of God, our believing in the word of God are applying it, the word of God, to our lives, are surrendering to it and saying, okay, Lord, this is your perfect and holy word. I trust it. I believe on every word it says, and I build my life on it. And so powerful is the word of God that it can penetrate our hearts. Many of us could testify to that this morning. I don't know all of your stories about how you came to Christ, but many of us, in some way, it will either be because there is a seed sown from the word of God from when you were a very young person and at one point the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to what that meant. Or that literally the word of God was spoken on that night and you were, you were saved and you were brought in to the family of God. I don't know what all of your stories are like. Maybe yours is different to that. But let me tell you, the word of God can penetrate our hearts and it still does today, even for Christians. It convicts us and changes us. It, it, it teaches us and shows us. It's a sword that, grip, that goes in and it, it, it goes deep. It grips us and makes us into new people with the help of the Holy Spirit. We should never underestimate the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to apply that into people's lives. Well then, thirdly, it's results. What's the result? The results can only be called good as well. Look at the end of verse 18. Let's read all of it together. 
Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What are the first fruits? What are the first fruits? Well, the first fruits are the first batch of the farmer's crop. And that batch is proof. It is a guarantee of the rest of the harvest that it is on its way. And James, 2,000 years ago, is writing directly to the first fruits, which were the Jews in the early church, Jewish believers in the first century from whom that harvest has continued until this very day. They, those scattered and stricken Jews, were the original privileged sample of what was to come. They were a pledge, if you like, to a full harvest. And we are recipients of their new birth in many ways and their faithfulness because they stood firm in their faith and passed their faith on to others by proclaiming and sharing the good news of the gospel. And 2,000 years later, we stand doing the same. For they were the first fruits. They were the recipients of new birth. And they were faithful. And we will only see the full harvest when all is recreated and transformed on that last day. But as we finish, let me say this. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. But no gift is more wonderful than the gift of new life. New birth in our hearts. And that's what James points to when reminding us that God is providentially, dependably, and graciously good. That's what he's pointing to. And it's this that we need to keep in the front, the forefronts of our minds as the church. Whatever may come, whatever we go through, whatever we go through personally, whatever we go through as a church, especially when we're facing trials and temptations, that we need to remember that God is providentially, God is dependably, and God is graciously good. And so I pray that that would be part of our thinking, that would be burnt on our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are sovereign, that you are dependable, that you are gracious, that you are the one who gives gifts abundantly. And may we be a people who know those things. May we be people who proclaim those things. May we be a people who long to continue to experience and understand the gifts that you give to us that we must realize that they are all good and perfect and just what we need. Thank you for who you are, Father. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for giving us new birth, new life. And Lord, we do pray that you would speak into hearts and lives who are outside of Christ, those who have not experienced new birth and new life, and that you would call them to yourself this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.